0: Please turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to read our text together, and we'll go ahead and pray and get into the message tonight. So this is Ephesians 5, verse 22 through the end of the chapter. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he may present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish." This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the sunshine that broke through this evening, for the rain that you have given to us. And God, we pray that you would break through the clouds that we bring into this sanctuary. We ask that you give us fresh perspective, as we look at the mystery of marriage, that we could see your love, Jesus, for the church, that we could respond to you, Jesus. And as we've sang that to welcome the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we welcome you in our lives. We welcome you in our marriages. We pray that you'd bless this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this text on marriage, I want to share a little bit of Amber and I's story with you. Some of you may know how we met and fell in love and got married, but reading through this text and studying it made me appreciate and, and thankful for my wife, Amber. So this September, we'll be celebrating 15 years uh, of marriage on September 2nd. And how it all began for us is I was very single. I moved here, uh, started working at the church uh, in February of 2000, I was 21, just about ready to turn 22, and I was the infamous bachelor to the rapture type of guy. I'd like to go around and say, well, I don't know if I'll ever get married. I, I love serving the Lord. I love the freedom that I have. And every spare moment that I would have, I would go explore the mountains. New to Colorado, it was a giant playground for me. And I played off this single life pretty tough. I had the big red recliner in my apartment. And my decoration were license plates. And it was it was pretty awesome. I remember that summer going out to one of my good friend's weddings. His name was Dave Matlack. We'd gone to high school together. He was marrying a gal uh, in Georgia. So flew down there. It was the classic kind of southern wedding, completely culturally different from what I was used to. And I remember coming into the sanctuary, and the pastor that was was marrying him, as we were walking in, he said real loud with confidence, he said, Jesus, we welcome you here. Would you walk with us? And really felt the presence of the Lord in the midst of, of this marriage with Dave and his wife. I probably wouldn't say it out loud, but I started to feel extremely lonely. I became very aware of the fact that my apartment was pretty miserable, And like Adam, before he got married, uh, God exposed his need in the Garden of Eden. He had to name all of these animals to come to realize that he was alone. And I think God began to begin that process in my heart and and in my life. So I began to pray, Lord, would you please, if you want me to be married, bring about this in, in, in my life. And it was probably six months later, eight months later, uh, some good friends of ours. Many of you know them, Sean and Lisa Rafferty. Uh, Sean is uh, one of our pastors here and uh, a best friend friend of mine. Is I, They were very, very gracious to me in that season because they were married. They had their first daughter, uh, Olivia, and they have a meal. And I don't know if it was just compassion, but Sean would call, say, hey, do you guys want to, would you want to join me for a meal? And I'm like, yes. Yes, I do. You know, like, let's see uh, doritos and ice cream again or lisa's cooking i'll go there you know and so i was hanging out hanging out with them and i think over a period of time they're like we got to get this guy married like this this needs this needs to happen it's not good for this dude to be alone and truth be told is lisa had a dream that amber and i got married we didn't know this at the time so Sean sits me down one day. And if you guys know Sean, like he can sit you down. You know what I'm saying? He, he, so he sits me down and I could tell he's got something on his mind. He, he's got something he wants to share. And he says, well, we know this this gal and we, and we think she'd be great for you. And she loves the Lord and she likes to lead worship. I was really into leading worship at the time. Would, would you be willing to meet her? It was right after Christmas, and being single at Christmas time is the worst. You know, if you're if you're single and you're desiring to be married, it's like, could we just skip that whole entire month, please? Like, I'm sick of seeing the mistletoe, right? And so Christmas had just ended and Sean lays this on me and I go, "Well, yeah. Yeah, I'd be I'd be willing to do it." Now, a year prior, I probably never would have been willing to do that. But God had been doing a process in my life. So on the other end, Lisa calls Amber, my wife, and hadn't heard from Amber for a long time. And Sean and Lisa had been her youth pastors when, when she was growing up. And so that's how they knew, knew Amber. So they're making all this small talk. And then Lisa approaches her and says, well, the real reason I'm calling is, would you meet this guy, Eric? She's like, this is a weird circumstance of events. I, I think my youth pastor's wife is trying to hook me up with somebody, right? You know, and... So she said, well, if you guys go, then I'll I'll go with you guys and we can go uh, out on a a double date. So sure enough, we drive up to Denver I'm with Sean and Lisa, and I'm in the back seat. We pull up to Amber's parents' house and knock on the door, and off we go to uh, this this Mexican restaurant. And Amber's maiden name is harder. I'm sitting there listening to the three of them talk and catch up. And all I could think about was harder tools. That that could be a really good name to start a company, a business, you know. <clears throat> so now we're at coffee, and I said, "You know, you could start a really cool company. You could call it Harder Tools." And she just looks at me and she goes, "Well, too bad I don't like tools." <laughs> I'm thinking, "Oh, that was that was a bust. That didn't didn't go over uh, very well." And I th- I think for for both of us, especially for her, it was like it wasn't like this, well, we know we're going to get married the first time that we meet. But there was a lot of things that I saw in her that really intrigued me. Uh, Her love for the Lord, her beauty, her love for the outdoors, backpacking, rock climbing. And it was worth the risk to me to figure out how to get a hold of her. And for me in that season of my life, that was a big step for me, like to, to call and ask, a gal out on a date so this dates us but it was landlines you know i go to sean i'm like you know do you have like her family's number she was home from college and they they knew the, the hardest phone number so i call amber's parents house i wish the dad of three daughters that would stay the case you know what i'm saying and some dude wants to date one of my daughters that he'd have to call the home phone but thankfully amber picked up and i said you know you want to go snowboarding and she said, well, I don't have my snowboard. I left it at college. And so well, why don't we hang out in Denver? And we hung out in Denver for, for the day. And then we went to her church Friday night up in Denver. I remember sitting down with her on our, our second date, just the two of us. We were in Boulder, walking around Pearl Street. And God had really convicted my heart and saying, you know, I want to pursue this in such a way to see if God would have us to be married. Like, I don't want to play around. I don't want to hurt each other. Let, let's try to do this in, in a God-honoring way. I think that was the beginnings of God really blessing our relationship by his grace. We got engaged, and we're met and married in eight months. That's crazy talk right there, isn't it? You know, Met and married in eight months, and then we were engaged and studying Ephesians chapter 5 together. It was a circumstance, but we honestly couldn't find anybody that wanted to do premarital counseling with us. Like, I'm a youth pastor here at the church, and for a bunch of different reasons, it just didn't work out. But I remember one of the pastors here saying, you know what, Eric, you guys know what to do. The question is, will you do it or not? I was like, huh, that's, that's an interesting challenge. He said, why don't you read the sections of scripture that God gives about marriage, ask that God would give you se- sensitive hearts to fulfill it. So we didn't know better. We didn't know that it was more complicated than that. You know, like, let's do it. Let, let's get out our Bibles. Let's read Ephesians 5, we both knew that we couldn't fulfill this on our own. I remember reading this from the context of, I'm going to soon be a husband. Is there any way that I could love Amber the way that Christ loves the church? Nothing to do with Amber, everything to do with me. How, how could I love the same way that Christ loved? It seemed like this really tall order of pancakes that I could never live up to. I still don't live up to it. It's always a challenge to grow grow in that. But what that brought about is a real brokenness in Amber and I that we prayed together over our engagement and into our marriage and continued to this day of something like this. Is, God, we're two broken people. We're sinful people. You're calling us to something that's far above us. Would you please move in us through your grace? Would you do something in our relationship that's a testimony of your grace, your power working through us. And I think that's something that we don't hear a lot in marriage. A lot of times we hear in marriage and in parenting, it's what you bring to the table, what you're gonna do, the hard work that you're gonna put in. And yes, there's hard work to be put in, But have we gotten to that place of brokenness, that place that I can't do this on my own. I need God's power and God's strength to be moving in and through me. So I want to remind you of the context of Ephesians. Do you guys know what the theme of Ephesians is? It's the grace of God. The first three chapters were God's grace that were seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And then chapter four, we're challenged to walk worthy of that calling. Now back up just a little bit in chapter five, and go to the previous paragraph, to verse 15. Chapter 5, verse 15, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine, and which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. I have heard verses 22 through the end of the chapter are taught on so many times where they leave out the context of the chapter, where they challenge wives to submit to their husbands, husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, but they leave out the power of the Holy Spirit. Right before, we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And as we talked about in a previous study, it's continually being filled with the Spirit. So as we're living this out, trying to be a godly husband, ladies trying to be a godly wife, it's crying out to the Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? And then that flows right into chapter six with children and also work, employer-employee relationships. So it's in essence saying this, as you do life, as you try to do the Christian life, you're crying out to God saying, God, help me to take advantage of the time By being filled with the Holy Spirit, would you you fill me? And then notice what happens after we're filled with the Spirit. We're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're giving thanks always. And then verse 21 is we're submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. We'll talk more about submission. There's real roles that God has given to husbands and wives. But the attitude once we're filled with the Holy Spirit is how can I yield to someone else? How can I be a peacemaker? The Spirit of God has already put us in the posture and the position of yielding. Now, is that our normal position, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, where I'm going to yield, I'm going to give, I'm going to look for the path of peace? So now we'll get into our text, and we're going to look at the role given to wives, the role given to husbands. You may be saying, I'm single, can I get a get out of jail free card this evening? No, because this text is not first and foremost about marriage. It's about Christ in the church. That's the number one lesson married or single is to see Christ in the church tonight. And so you can apply that whether you're married or you're single. So first it begins for wives. And before we get into this, are we prepared to be challenged and grow? No, No matter how long you've been married, if your marriage is going great, are you ready to be challenged and grow? If your marriage is at a place of difficulty, are you ready to be challenged and grow? Because this is not God's suggestions for marriage. This isn't chicken soup for the soul, okay? This isn't going God saying, well, you might want to try it this way. This is a good suggestion. This is the creator of the universe, the father of all good things, Jesus, our savior, who's died for us, the Holy Spirit who's teaching us and he's commanding us saying, this is the way you're supposed to do marriage. Just like previously where God has said, hey, look, don't steal anymore, but work hard with your hands. Hey, don't lie anymore. We, we know this and we believe this. We can't just take sections of our Bible and cut it out and throw it away, right? So if you want to glorify God in your marriage, if you want to experience all that he has for you, then really own these roles that he has, has given. If you're planning to be married in the future as well. So wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, did I just say that out loud? Did I say the word submit? One of the things that's always interesting is, is doing a wedding. And when I do a wedding, I'll teach from this section of scripture. At weddings, you have a lot of believers and unbelievers, and you should hear how tense it gets when I read, wives, submit to your husbands in the Lord. You can tell that there's some ladies in the congregation of the wedding that are like, like, I can't believe that he just said that. Maybe you're having that feeling as well. and You're you're saying, I didn't understand that this is what God taught to wives that they're to submit to their husbands in, in the Lord. So let's talk about it. What does biblical submission mean? What does it not mean? Well, first, submission does not mean that you're not equal. It doesn't mean inequality. A lot of times in our culture, we think if, if I have to follow someone's leadership, then that means that somehow they're superior to me and I'm inferior. Now, if that were the case, it would mean that Jesus was inferior to the Father. And if he's inferior to the Father, then he's not God. But what do we know about Christ? That he is God. And inside of the Trinity, they're equals, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're all God, three distinct persons, but yet one. However, inside of the Trinity, there is order. There is roles that God has given. How do we know that? Because the Spirit is always pointing to the Son. That's what we find in John. That's the role and job of the Holy Spirit. How do you know if there's a move of the Holy Spirit? If people fall in love with Jesus, if they go away talking about Jesus, if Christ is exalted, because that's the job of the Spirit. We find that Jesus always submits to the Father. Even as a 12-year-old, and he's at the temple, what did he tell Mary and Joseph? I'm about my Father's business. He, to the point where he said, there's nothing that I can do that I haven't seen him do first. He was completely submitted to, to the authority of the father. And then the father was always complimenting the son. So the father has the ultimate authority, but he's always building up the son. So Jesus is the model of submission. So ladies, you might be thinking through this and you might be going, okay, God's calling me to submit to to my husband. How dare Jesus ask me to do this? And Jesus goes, well, I know the road of submission. And I know the road of submission even to the point of death. Do you know the first and foremost, the reason that Jesus died upon the cross was out of obedience to his father, out of love to his father, because this is what his father asked him to do. If you think this through, I think that you understand it in a great way. You know, you might have someone inside of an organization, inside of a company, where they're the boss, they're the owner, they have that chair. And then there's those that support the boss, But because they support the boss, it doesn't mean that the boss is greater. In fact, when you look into the detail of that company, you realize the success of the company really lies upon the person that's in the second chair and the person that's really making the mechanics of of the organization work. But on paper... The owner has, has the authority. I bet in some area of your life you followed somebody's leadership and you knew by following them you weren't saying that they were superior to you. Also, this text is not to be used as a club for men to abuse their wives. Please stay tuned through this whole study. There's going to be much more that's written to husbands. Husbands are to be servant leaders. Men, if you have used this text on your wife, you are the most foolish of men. Amen? Try that on for size with your wife. Um, Honey, you're supposed to submit to me. You shouldn't have to use this verse as a club to try to get your wife to follow you. You should be serving her in such a way where you're laying your life down for her where she naturally wants to follow your leadership. So it's not a club for abuse. It goes to verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. The example of headship is Christ. Colossians tells us that Jesus is the head of the church. He's the leader of the church. He's taken on responsibility of the church. So now God states it in his word inside of the home that the husband is the head of his wife, that he's to serve his wife in this way. Bonhoeffer has a great quote on on this section of scripture of Christ being the head. Bonhoeffer was arrested and thrown into prison by Hitler, ultimately executed. And this is what he writes. Now, when the husband is called the head of the wife, and it goes on to say, as Christ is the head of the church, Something of divine splendor is reflected in our earthly relationships. And this reflection we should recognize and honor. The dignity that is ascribed to the man lies not in any capacity of qualities of his own, but on the office conferred on him by his marriage. Did you get that? He's the head of his home, not because of his capability, or abilities, but because God has given him that position. God says, this is the way I'm setting up marriage. This is the way that I'm setting up the husband. He is the head of the home. The wife should see her husband clothed in this dignity, but for him, it is who is responsible for his wife. So now he's saying, husbands, you have this responsibility. For their marriage and for their home, on him falls the care and protection of the family. He represents it to the outside world. He is the mainstay and comforter. He is the master of the house who exhorts, punishes, helps and comforts and stands for it before God. Wow. So God looks at us, men, if we're married, that we're the head of our homes, we're the head of our wives just as Christ did is the head of the church. And so now we find something here that I think is the heart of the text and it's the real mystery that inside of a godly marriage, it reflects Christ and the church. And we see that in verse 24. Thus, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Marriage is not about your personal happiness. Marriage is about reflecting Christ and the church. So wives, your submission, why do, you, why do you submit to your husbands in the Lord? That's what we've read in scripture. It's something that God's calling you to do. You're honoring the Lord. The other reason that you do is you're representing the church. Just the way the church responds to Christ, you respond to your husbands. Now husbands, if you feel like your wife doesn't respect you and follow you and submit to you, how well are we as the church responding to Christ? That's something to think about, isn't it? Because here we're saying, honey, I would really like it if you respected me. I would really like it if you would follow my leadership. And Jesus is over here saying, I would really like it if you loved me. I would really like it if you respected me. I would really like it if you followed my leadership. None of us is apart from living under authority, amen? So this isn't something that just wives have to do. Well, wives, you need to live under the authority that God has set up. As godly men, hopefully we're living under authority as being in the church. We're responding to Christ. How does this work out practically? Where's the rubber meet the road in this? Ladies, does this mean you have no input on any decisions that are inside of your home because he's the head of the house, you know? I sure hope not. That's not what we see described in a relationship between a husband and wife. It should be a friendship. It should be partnership. It should be there's a decision to be made. Husbands and wives should both share their feelings about the decision. You should pray. You should get into God's word. What does God's word have to say? It shouldn't just be, well, the husband, whatever he says, he always gets his way. Whatever the wife thinks and feels, she always gets her way. It should be a husband and wife coming together saying we want to honor God. So what does God have to say? Amen. This isn't a me decision. It's not my wife's decision. It's this is a God decision. What would God have for us? We get into God's word. We pray. Get godly counsel. And then this is normally what happens. As there's some of what the husband said that was really good, and there's some of what the wife said that was really good. And you come together with a we decision instead of just a husband decision or just a wife decision. If it's just one of them, it won't be as strong of a decision. So I think husbands and wives, it's a good practice as you make decisions together, big or small, to be praying about it, talking about it, getting godly counsel, being willing to yield to one another. Now, after going through that process and you can't agree, what do you do? Well, ladies, you look at your husband and you say, I know you've heard me. I know you're a man of God and you're praying. And so what you decide to do, I will follow you because I am called by God to follow your leadership. And your husband will probably groan a little bit. He'll probably be like, oh, deep down, I really wanted you to make the decision. And what happens is, is it causes us as men to really rise up. I'm going to have to take responsibility for this decision. My wife just said, you decide. You pray it through. You take that ultimate direction for our families. But ladies, this is what God is calling you to. Your marriage will struggle. Your marriage will not enter into the health that God desires. Not that it'll ever be perfection. Not that there won't be difficulties. We're sinners till we go home to be with the Lord. But a marriage will really struggle if a husband doesn't fulfill his role, if a wife doesn't fulfill her role. Wives, if you haven't in your heart of hearts accepted what the Word of God says about your husband, it's going to cause more difficulty and more pain. So who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe God or are you going to believe culture? Say, God, I believe you. This is what your word says. It's right in every area. So I'm choosing to respect my husband. I'm choosing to come underneath his leadership. Now, what if he's wrong? What if he leads leads the family in a wrong direction? God's got a big stick, doesn't he? And he can get your husband a lot better than you can. Abraham and Sarah are a biblical example of this. Abraham's leading his family in a sinful direction. And Sarah allows God to deal with Abraham and God deals with Abraham way better than she could. It doesn't mean you don't speak truth. It doesn't you say, honey, I don't think that this is a godly decision, but I trust you, and I'm willing to follow you. I'm not going to give you grief over it, and the Lord will be faithful to deal with your husband. So wives, you're being called to submit, and then in verse 25, through the rest of the chapter, it's directed towards us as husbands. Before I go on to verse 25, I just want to say this. Ladies, if you're single, and you desire to get married and you're praying about getting married, maybe you're dating someone and you're already in that process, is realize what you're committing to. When you stand before God to get married as a Christian couple, you're accepting him as your head. So if you think he's a lousy leader, don't marry him, all right? If you think, well, I'm gonna change him once we get married and I'm gonna make him into a godly leader, good luck. Doesn't work like that, right? Right? You got to think it through and pray it through and stop and consider, I'm committing to following this guy. So what's his character like? Does he have a testimony of loving Jesus long before he met me? Or did he start loving Jesus the moment he saw my Bible? It's like, I better get one of those too, right? So choose carefully who you marry because God's calling you to follow him. Now husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So God is calling us as men to sacrificial love. He says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And we talk about this a lot, the different definitions of love. This is agape in the Greek. It's God's love. It's a love that's based on commitment and upon choice, not upon your feelings. This goes much deeper than your feelings. This is a commitment that you're making to say, I'm gonna love in the way that Christ has loved. Again, the only way that this can happen is what? Being tapped into the power source, which is the Holy Spirit. Wives, you can be encouraged. You can submit to your husband because you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Husbands, you can love your wife as Christ loves the church because you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice this has nothing to do with your spouse. It doesn't say, well, if your spouse is this, 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 and this, then submit to him. If your wife is A, B, C, D, all of these things, traits, then love her. This is a commitment that we're making based on who God is in our response to him. Love is Christ's love, the church. And what's emphasized in the text is what? And he gave himself for the church. That was the mission of Christ. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life upon the cross. He knew that that was before him. So husbands, as we love our wives, what are we reflecting? The wife is reflecting the church and we're reflecting Christ that people could look on, a lost and dying world could look on and go, wow, the way that that guy loves his wife is the way that Jesus loves the church. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. We oftentimes in our culture, rightly so, get upset about the message of marriage. It's getting totally mixed up. It's been put in the washing machine and put on the spin cycle. But you know what? Each of us that are married, that are Christians, We have an opportunity to reflect the proper message, and that is Christ and the church. People are really watching. We've got a billboard of Christ's love. You have the opportunity to give a message, husbands, by the way that you treat your wife. So how did Christ give himself for us? Is that he was willing to die for our sin. He was willing to pay the price for our sin. So at the very core of us loving our wives, are we willing to, to die for her sin, to get into her world, not insist on change, not demand change. How could you do this? How could you sin against me in this way? But to pay the consequence for her sin. That's the cross of Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us. He was willing to do that. That's what he's calling us into. So let's think of the sacrificial love of Christ. We know that Christ is prayerful, isn't he, in his sacrifice for us. So that's where we start, husbands. We say, every day I'm gonna pray for my wife. Instead of getting really angry or irritated about her shortcomings, pray about it. Lift it up to the Lord. Pray that God would be faithful and gracious and merciful in the midst of, of those things. Also, Christ loves unconditional. Unconditional. Make that commitment in your heart. God, you're calling me to love my wife in an unconditional way. So if she's having a great day, you love her. If she's having a bad day, you love her. If she's having a day that you can't even figure out somewhere in between, you love her, right? It's unconditional love. The love of Christ is prayerful, it's unconditional. The love of Christ is also passionate, isn't it? When we think about the way that Christ pursues the church, it's passionate. You don't get this picture of Christ when we come to sing and worship, where where he's busy checking his email or he's busy with texts, or he's busy watching sports. He's like, what was that down there, guys? Uh, you want to welcome in the Holy Spirit? Oh, oh, just a second. The NBA finals are happening, right? He's passionate. You sense that from the Lord in worship. That he, he's like, wow, my church is gathered I'm so excited to spend time with them. I'm so excited to be able to to draw near to them. And we want to communicate that in our love for our wives, that we're passionate about them. You know, is there ever disagreements in marriage? Or does that happen in other churches? Married couples, you ever have disagreements? So who's biblically responsible to seek out reconciliation if there's a disagreement between a husband and a wife? Whoever was wrong? No, it's the husband. The husband is called by God to pursue reconciliation. How do we know? Because that's what Christ did with us. So to love our wives as Christ loved the church, okay, there's something not right here. We're at odds with each other. There's a reason the bathroom door is locked. Hmm, you know, <laughs> something, something's not quite right here. Well, it's your fault. You need to get things right. No, It's mine. I want to pursue you. I want to pursue reconciliation. I want to pursue peace that is there. None of us have arrived to this call that God has given us. It's a sacrificial love. It's choosing to lay our lives down for our wives. This is the purpose of why Christ laid down his life. Please focus that it's focusing on Jesus, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. So Christ's love... Is sacrificial, but it's also a sanctifying love. He sanctifies us and he cleanses us with the washing of the water by the word. Christ in his love for the church, he died for us to save us, to then set us apart. And the word set apart is where we get the word sanctify. God in his tremendous love says, I don't want you to be in the filth of the world anymore. So you're set apart and you're set apart for me. And this is the work that God has done. He grants us salvation, but he's continuing to work in us sanctification, continuing to set us apart, making us more like himself. And how does he do it? Through the water of the word. He pours his word into our lives, and that's what washes us and sanctifies us. And now this is one of the ways that God's calling husbands to love their wives is that we should be the spiritual leaders in our homes and we should always be concerned about our own sanctification and our wife's sanctification. Because we know holiness is goodness. Holiness leads to great things. And so we love our wives and we say, babe, I want you to be close to Christ. I wanna be praying for you. I wanna be sharing truth with you. I wanna be sharing the truth of what God is doing in my life and how he's speaking the word of God into my life. I was thinking about this whole concept of washing. And when it is in a relationship, it requires great gentleness and great care. And husbands, sometimes we're not the most gentle creatures on the planet, right? Men, can I get an amen to that? So you think about if for some reason you were in the hospital, you've got an infectious wound. It's a staph infection. They've got to clean it out. If someone comes in without kindness and gentleness, and they just start scrubbing on that infection with no concern to the pain that they're causing, you probably want to find a different hospital, don't you? Even with our kids, if if they need to be washed in the bathtub when they're little. I mean, you don't take an infant and put them in the tub and go, you know, just start reefing on them. You don't do that, right? You, you come with, with gentleness. So husbands, if we're to wash our wives in the water of the word, it needs to be with meekness, which can, considering our own sin and our own shortcomings, and a tremendous amount of gentleness. Otherwise, it's not going to go over at all. Our wives aren't going to receive it at all. And then also as adults, to allow somebody to wash you takes humility, doesn't it? If you're in a place where you're in the hospital, that's about the only time you're going to allow somebody else to wash your body. Because if you can do it yourself, you're going to do it yourself. Like, don't wash my feet. They're stinky, right? No, thank you. I I, I got it. I'll I'll take care of it on my own. So wives, in your mind, you might be saying, I can wash myself in the water of the word. You know, I I know more than this knucklehead ten times over. I've got a greater heart for God. Why would I allow him to wash me in the water of the word? Because it's humility. So your husband starts to share the things of God. You don't shut him down. You don't go, well, actually, that wasn't Abraham. That was Jacob. You got the the name wrong. And he's going, oh, man, I should have never tried to share anyway. He starts to begin to share the things of God. And you go, oh, okay, I get it. He's starting to be the spiritual leader in my home. And you encourage that. You foster that. If your husband says, hey, can we pray together? Don't go, you know what? You were such a knucklehead today. You go pray with yourself, you know? How dare you come in here and say you want to pray with me? Like, you should have gotten the Mr. Stupid award today. And now you're like Mr. Spiritual? No, thank you, you know? And he's like, well, that's the last time I'm ever going to ask. That went over really well, right? So you allow him to start to lead spiritually, even if he doesn't deserve it. He's attempting to do that. So husbands, how are some ways that we follow Christ in this example? Is begin to pray with our wives. It doesn't have to be fancy prayers from the heart, simple prayers, but grab your wife by the hand and pray with her. Ask that God would bless her day. Pray with her as you're going to sleep. Guys, if, if you want to see stars in your wife's eyes, this will work but hopefully you're doing it to glorify God. You want Christ to be in the center of your relationship. Be in the word for yourself and start to share what God has spoken to you. Like, hey, I read this in my Bible and it really blessed me. Maybe choose to say, hey, can we read through a book of the Bible together? Let's read through the book of Mark together. Be the one that says, hey, let's go to church. Let's be at Wednesday night study. Let's be at Sunday morning study. When you're driving home to say, hey, What did God speak to you through the message? Bring up those spiritual conversations. Bring up your own brokenness. I I feel really dry right now spiritually. I feel like I haven't connected with God in a while. How are you doing spiritually? And this could be revolutionary inside of a marriage because it could be just thinking about the physical and the physical aspects, friendship, and the romantic connection in a relationship, but you've neglected the spiritual. The spiritual bond in Christ is the greatest bond that we have, goes on to say that he may present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is revolutionary. This teaches us about Christ. Christ is getting us ready for what? For when we're presented to him. And when we get presented to Christ, he wants us to be pure. So he's preparing a pure bride. That's what this life is all about it's not about comfort. It's not about stuff. It's not about possessions. It's not even about how much God uses our life to touch others. Do you know what it's first and foremost about? Jesus preparing us to meet him as the bride. And so now as a husband, we start to go, you know what? How cool would it be to get across the finish line and see my wife way ahead of me in her love for Jesus Christ, that pure spotless bride that she gets to look into the eyes of Jesus Christ and Jesus looks at my wife and says, well done, good and faithful servant. And God, could I be part of that process to help encourage her? A sanctifying love, a sacrificial kind of love, but then a sanctifying kind of love. The order is important. Husbands, if we're not laying down our, our lives for our wives, putting her needs before our own, it's going to be really hard for our wives to receive anything in this area of spiritual leadership, anything in this area of this sanctifying type type of love. It's amazing that Christ loves us this way. The last thing that we see with husbands loving their wives is self-love. And you're like, really? Self-love? So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So God through the Holy Spirit is speaking to men where they live, where we understand this. Men, I wanna grab your attention with this. If you know how to care for your own body, you know how to care for your own flesh. I am very, very good at making sure that this body is taken care of. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing that I do is make a pot of coffee because Team Eric wants a pot of coffee. You know what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm, I'm better and everybody else in the house is appreciative when I've had a couple cups of coffee. And when homeboy's ready to sleep, homeboy's gonna sleep because I need some sleep. And if I'm hungry, the six times, seven times through the day, I find a way to eat all seven of those times. It's one of the things that I really enjoy about adulthood. Because when I was in the home underneath my parents, I couldn't just eat whenever I want. But now I'm the dad and I pay the bills. And so if I want some chips, I'm going to have some chips. You know what I'm saying? And and we as men, we we get this. We understand this. Like we'll, we'll care for our own flesh. The body says nobody, no one ever hated their own flesh. You nourish and cherish your flesh. Innately, you know, I've got to take care of my body. I'm going to nourish it. I'm going to cherish it. So here's the challenge, men. The way that you love your own flesh, you love your wife in that way. So, you know, I really like a cup of coffee in the morning. So I want to make sure my wife gets a cup of coffee because I know she enjoys coffee as well. I really like sleep. I know my wife likes sleep. So if the kids wake up in the middle of the night, I'm not just going to insist that, She's the only one that has to get up. I'm going to get up as well because I want to love her in the way that I appreciate being cared for. I like it when people say nice things to me. So I bet my wife feels the same way. So I'm going to say nice things to her. And it's going through life in a very simple way of thinking about her needs instead of my own and caring for her as I care for my own flesh. I think men, this will enhance our marriages and change our marriages in verse 29, nourish and cherish. Cherish. Are my actions and attitude towards my wife communicating that I am nourishing her, which means to build up, and cherishing her, which is communicating value. And that's the way, notice what it says, that Christ loves the church just as the Lord does the church. And this is mind-blowing. All of the actions of Christ communicate this to us, that he nourishes us, that he wants to build us up. He wants to cause us to grow and that he cherishes us, and that he values us. And so that's the example for us. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and bones. The reason that Jesus nourishes and cherishes us is because we're part of his body. And so now there's this oneness with the husband and wife, and you're gonna benefit husbands as you love your your wife as your own body. In verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Quoting from Genesis, God's instruction on marriage. So just like a marriage will suffer if there's not submission, a marriage will also suffer if a husband isn't loving as Christ loves the church. Taking on that servant type of leadership, the third thing that will cause a relationship to suffer is if the mom or the dad is a greater human relationship than the husband or the wife. So when you got married, whether you realized it or not, you communicated to God and to your spouse and everybody that was witnessing, you are the greatest human relationship on the planet. Once you're married, God is not calling you to make the parental relationship work at the expense of your marriage. You make the marriage work, then you figure out a way to make the parental marriage, the relationship, not, you're not married to your parents, right? Amen? So you're cutting that cord of depend- dependency. You're leaving your father and mother, and you're cleaving to your spouse. So what does it mean to leave your father and mother? You cut off the finances. You're not in that place where you're financially dependent. If they want to give a gift with no strings attached, praise the Lord but you're not dependent upon them on a weekly, monthly basis. Then when you have exciting things that happen in your life, you just got a raise, you don't call your mom. You don't call your dad. You know what you do? You call your spouse. And you're like, guess what? I just got a 1% raise. It was awesome, you know? And they're like, yes, every little bit helps. You know what really stinks? As if you hear from your in-laws that your spouse got a 1% raise. You know what I mean? Because they've told mom or dad first. So you tell your spouse first. Then you call your parents and you're like, guess what? We got a 1% raise. It was awesome, right? Things hit the fan and there's difficulty. You don't pick up the phone and call your dad. Dad. And then dad's over there beating up your husband. You know, you don't do that. What do you do? You go to the Lord, you go to your spouse, you go to a pastor if you need to, a Christian friend that you can trust, but you keep that inside of the marriage until your spouse says, you know what, it'd be fine if you talked to your parents. Always ask for your spouse's permission before you go to the parents. You know, if this is the pattern, that you wake up early in the morning, men, and you go across town to have breakfast with your mom at six in the morning, instead of with your wife, you probably have not done the leaving and cleaving. You know what I'm saying? It it might be, I can guarantee you your spouse will be able to tell you if you've done the appropriate level of leaving and cleaving. So you leave and you cleave, you're joined, and then you're one flesh. But notice what it says in verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This is the mystery of marriage. The unity that's inside of a marriage where God looks down and says, I see one person instead of two, ultimately reflects to the unity between Christ and the church. The way that a husband feels about his wife is just a small microscopic reflection of the way that Jesus feels about the church, the kind of unity that we enjoy with the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. God boiled down marriage into one paragraph. And then he sums it up in one killer sentence. He says, emphasizes, he says, okay, husbands, here it is. Make sure that you love your wife as you love your own flesh. Put that as the priority. Everything that you do, actions, words, attitudes, is it communicating love? And then wives, here it is. Respect your husband. And are your attitudes and your actions pointing to the respect of Christ. People that are brilliant, that have studied marriage inside and out from every perspective that you can imagine have boiled down marriage to two things. Husbands love, that's the greatest need of a wife is to know that she's loved. And why husbands need to know that they're respected by their wives. As a husband, I can say it feels so good to feel respected by my wife. You could all tell me it was a terrible sermon. And I walk home and Amber goes, oh, that was a great sermon. I'm like, whoa, oh, that was a good one, you know? We all love to be admired by our wives and be respected by our wives. And I know you would say the same thing, wives, that you crave to be loved by your husbands. Here's a couple for you. I want to put their picture up. Mr. and Mrs. Chand, C-H-A-N-D. Do we have that slide, guys? The, so December 15th, 2015, they celebrated their 90th wedding anniversary. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, they are the longest living married couple. So what are their ages? He's 110 years old, and she is 103 years old. She was 13 when they got married. He was twenty an arranged marriage in India, 90 years of marriage. In an article, they said, this is five things that are key to a marriage. Always be faithful, always be faithful to to one another. That's number one. Look after each other as best as you can. If you want to grow old with your partner, you have to make sure you always look after each other in every shape and form. And I love this. Whether it's making a meal, holding your partner's hand when crossing the road, or being on a shoulder to cry on when something goes wrong. Number three, be tolerant of each other. Everyone has bad habits or annoying traits. Amen? Everybody. Whether it's leaving a towel on the floor or listening to the radio too loudly, you have to have a tolerance towards each other and realize that no one is perfect. Listen to each other. Number four, listen to each other. The most important thing in a relationship is listen. People don't listen anymore because they're too busy with work and TV. And then number five, follow religious values, respect, care, cherish, love, and value your partner. Always treat them how you would want them, how you would want to be treated yourself. So those are their five things that they give to us in marriage. Let's stand together. Let's pray and let's ask that God would grow us in this way. Jesus, as we come to the communion table, we pray first and foremost that we would see your love for us, see how you lay down your life for us, that you nourish us and you cherish us, when we grow in our understanding of our love for you and our response to you. God, we pray for every married couple that you would allow us to see things from your perspective as husbands, that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, help us to be engaged and excited about loving our wives as Christ loved the church. For wives, Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit to enable them to be able to submit to their husbands. We want our marriages to reflect Christ in the church. God, for those that are single, may they see you, Jesus, in this passage. May they see this as an important passage of understanding who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.